Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. What's up, everybody? Jared here from Puzzling Company. We've got a really exciting episode today, and maybe it's fateful that this is our 13th episode because we are starting this episode today actually in our new recording studio which we have spent some time building out. We used to be renting space, but now we're in our own space, which we're super excited about. And not only that, but we have a really cool game. Actually, three games, Zach. (gasps) Three games? Three games. I don't know if you remember this, but we actually played three games, not one this time. Oh, Lord. Uh, Three games that we're going to be talking about, all from a really cool company based out of Germany called Enigma Fellowship. Oh, I'm excited for this. So hang in there, you guys. We're going to get this thing started. Thanks for listening today. (sighs) I'm over it. Over what? Christmas. People can't let this holiday go, man. I'm still receiving Christmas-themed mail. Look at this red envelope I got yesterday. Jared, you are so uncultured. Uncultured? Because I refuse to celebrate Christmas year-round? No, you're uncultured because one, that color is scarlet, not red. And two, because that envelope is jammed packed with puzzles and mysteries. Scarlet Envelope features escape room-style experiences that you may receive every month in the mail. Each episode features a different story, but all their experiences are tied together in a bigger narrative that you are trying to unravel. I think I could get down with Christmas all year. Well, head on over to scarletenvelope.ca to start your adventures today. All right, everybody, welcome into the show today. Our first segment, we always do, we're going to sit here, we're going to talk about what we loved about this game. This is your first episode listening. We spend about half of our time talking about what really makes this game unique, what really stood out to us about this game. And then in the second half, we offer some constructive criticism, some critiques. As always, it is in love because we have a lot of admiration for all of the creators that we have on our show. We do not do what they do, and everything we say, as we always say, is well-researched, but it is our subjective opinion. So, Zach, why don't you uh, take us in here today and actually tell us a little bit about the series that we are reviewing before we hop into what we thought about the game. Sure. So we are reviewing the first three games of Enigma Fellowship. Ooh. Uh, so that is The Lost Knowledge, Scattered Cards is the second chapter, and the third chapter is Submerged. Sentinel, I believe. Yeah, I think the Submerged Sentinel. Sentinel. Yes. Yeah. Um, all three great games from Enigma Fellowship. Um, but yeah, in this part, we're going to kind of discuss kind of like critiquing them against each other, um, kind of like we've done before. That way we can kind of talk about the things we enjoyed about it, about the whole series, but also what we thought could be critiqued maybe about like each of the ones compared to each other. Yeah, and I actually like doing this with newer subscription services. We did the same thing with Scarlet Envelope yes. in one of our early episodes, but what it what it really allows us to do is not just judge them by their very first installment. Yeah, agreed. Because let's all be honest, our first installment, it's it's tested, it's tried, but we grow greatly from the feedback that we receive from our very first version of anything. Agreed. So we usually like, and we usually ask our creators, especially those that are working on a subscription basis, to send us three, if not more, 
um, for so that we can really dig in and give them a fair feedback on the trajectory of where their games are headed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so let's let's dive in. We're going to do this episode by episode. So first very game, which what lost knowledge was the first game, I believe you said. Correct. What did we really love about that? Ooh, okay. The first thing. So in lost knowledge, um, obviously it was their first game of the series. It did introduce a lot of really cool things that we have not seen much of in the games we've played. Um, one is breaks. Yes. It, it, it's actually really nice that the game gives you instructed breaks if you'd like to do so. Um, so for lost knowledge, it was halfway through the game. Generally they're at the halfway point, right? But they, uh, they do a good job of being like, well, if this is the point that you think you might want to grab a snack or go <laughs> do something else, or you need, you know, you're busy the next day, you know, you can, you can go to bed early. Um, but it, it just gives you instructed times that this is the perfect moment. You can take a break. And why is that important? Because the realistic part, right, is that a lot of these games, depending on how, you know, the game itself, they can have a pretty long time and it gives people time to play a game for a little bit. And let's say they need to, like something comes up, right? Or like, or like we were talking about, you have work the next day or you have kids and all that kind of stuff. You just have time commitments. Yes. You know, it gives people a clear way to go, okay, I can actually take a break from this and come back at any time. And it doesn't feel like you're jumping in somewhere random. It's just instructed to give you a clean transition from part one to part two where you can come in and not worry about what you missed. Yeah, I think of it uh, because you and I are both big video game players in addition to all of these sorts of games. Yeah, It kind of sections the game off nicely to me to let me know you are a third of the way done. Yeah, You are halfway done. And like you said, you don't, when you leave it at a section like this, you're not missing out on any of the narrative. It's easy to jump right back in. Um, But do you think that in our experience that ruined, cause we're always talking about immersiveness. Sure. Do you think, did that ruin the immersiveness of the game? Having breaks, having breaks. Cause I feel like we don't see this a lot. We've seen it a little more in the last couple of months where a lot of companies are adopting this policy yes. of, of giving a break. And I think it's wise, but are we worried at all that that's going to ruin the flow slash immersion of our game? No, I, I really don't think so. I think it depends on the game, though, to be honest, because obviously you could say that about one game, but then another game doesn't do it as well, in my mm. opinion. But in the games we've played, they've been at good points where the narrative of how their games flow, the beginning is like the is the, obviously the build up. And so that's kind of where you get introduction of knowledge and meeting characters and stuff like that. And then the break is right before all the action really kind of mm. begins, right? So specifically in like, you know, if we're talking about Enigma Fellowship, like the breaks that we have in the first game, it felt right before you get to where you're getting to the big adventure of the game or the experience. And then specifically in Submerged Sentinel, it's very much right before you start doing yes. the deep dive into it. Yes. So in the second game, I think it comes at a point where you're still trying to figure out some some knowledge or clues or material that you need to find to solve the case that is at hand. But they do a good job of keeping it where your immersion doesn't fully drop. But I could see definitely in games where that could be a, a an issue. Sure. It needs to be done intentionally. Yes. And there has to be a clear break in the narrative that that makes sense. Because like I said, it's almost like in a video game reference, right? You could do a checkpoint in the middle of like a story mission. But it's going to be weird when you break right before a boss fight and or like something like that. And you hear narrative start, but then when you join back in, it it starts midway through the narrative and you're like, wait, what happened? Yeah. It's like a week later. You're like, I don't remember why I'm fighting this boss specifically. It might have like an idea, 
But if there's like a whole speech right beforehand and you jump in halfway through the speech, it feels weird. Yes. You know, while if you do like a save at the beginning of a chapter, technically nothing's happened on the chapters before. Yes. So you cleanly go into the next, you know, the next part. Absolutely. I think, uh, I think even if your game is going to be advertised as an hour game, give us a break at the 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I think it just was done really smart and really wisely by Enigma Fellowship. And even in their first game just shows me like they're doing their research. Yes. They're, they're creating these games well. And then we also mentioned a like in the first game and it kind of went into it. There's a, a really good ending to this game, not in terms of necessarily the core narrative, but in terms of the messaging that the greater series is trying to bring you into. Uh, you get this really nice, I don't want to ruin it too much, but this really nice invitation into something larger. Yeah. At the end of the first game. And I really liked that. Yeah, it's a, it's a simpler narrative, but it's just like the beginning is, is just like I said, meeting characters and figuring out what the, the first part of the mystery is, right? Yeah. So with the lost knowledge. And then you, like I said, we're not trying to spoil any part of the game other than just how the game flows technically is that you transition to going to figure out and find the missing person or professor in this case. And then you get basically a part that teaches tradition Sure. And knowledge of, yes. of olden Fine. times. But, and But then you leave on this, like, kind of a, the greater goal of Enigma Fellowship. It leaves on a note, like, the example I gave when we actually talked to him was, like, in certain children's movies or really in any movie, there's always a hidden message. Yes. That the the film is trying to tell you, you know, if it's, it's never give up or, you know. Uh, one of my favorite movies that I remember from when I was younger – um, and I still love it, is Meet the Robinsons, the mm, Disney film. Great movie. And obviously the most important message that it always is put in it is keep moving forward. Yep. You know, and it, it's obviously said multiple times throughout the film, but it is the quote at the end of the film and how that is a perfect message of like, hey, like things are going to go wrong, but we're trying to tell you like you just have to keep going. Yes. Can't stop. You know, because it's hard to do that. But in this game, they kind of give you a message that's kind of like that. But they, th- that's my comparison is that, they leave you on a good note of like, this is what you should remember. And, and I liked that. Yes, it's it, nice. It, and it, it made you it made you feel good. Yes. Because uh, like we talk about in a lot of episodes, we belong to a lot of mysterious organizations. That is true. So yes. many, so many. But this was the one that I remember that really encapsulated what its organization stood for and what we were doing, What regardless of the narrative, that this is ultimately what we were trying to achieve and yes. had achieved in that mission. I just, I thought that was special and different and it just brought out a, um, a feeling of goodness at the end of a game that I don't think all games should strive for, but really I think I just always remember that. Yeah. It's definitely the first game in a long time that I felt like the narrative was ending on a happy note Yes, because there's a lot of games we play where I'm not saying that's a bad thing Yeah, on, the, on either side, but there's a lot of games where it ends up with, <laughs> Uh, something goes wrong or that we have solved the problem, but now something else has happened or yes. it's leading toward a bigger, bigger evil or potential. And in this game, it just ends on a happy, good note, like just end it because, you know, this is what the lesson. It wasn't too, no, nothing was too intense. There was nothing like crazy scary. Like, and that was something that when we talked to them, that was their intention. Like the point of the game is that it's not supposed to be this crazy, you yes. know, like, as an example, and like I said, nothing against these types of games, but just I, I know this game compared to others is like there's games where it's about a serial killer and you're trying to figure out the crimes and all these horrible acts while this game is just like, hey, this is just a nice family message yeah, that has some good puzzles in it. I agree. I totally agree. So I want to dive now into sticking on that episode where we felt like there was some room for improvement. 
And for us, it the sticking point for us was just the quality of the tangible items that we received. Most of what you have in the first game is just printed on white paper. Yeah. And that's not the end of the world, but just comparatively, I think it needs a step in the right direction, not to make the puzzles better because the puzzles were fine or make the narrative better, but it just shows a higher quality. No, agreed. Um, and, and, and tangibility, like we talk about, it's a, it's a personal thing for us that we like, but it is important it's because, important. because I, uh, otherwise why not just play this game a hundred percent digitally? Right. Yeah. Um, so talk to me about how, how you kind of felt about that. So it being mainly on like white paper, you know, or it's kind of simple. It's nice because it shows to an extent that this game can be, I'm thinking about this from a different standpoint for them. It is probably a little bit cheaper to make, sure. right. And it makes it more available so that it's for anyone. And now, you know, it, it can be a little frustrating when it feels like the material is the same, the entire game. Like we completely agree that tangibility is important, but what I will tell you is that this game makes up for it is that the puzzles were solid and were well used with the medium of the paper. Yes, I agree. I don't think it was um, inappropriate. I'm purely, because we have to, we have to talk about it compared to other games. Sure. Not that we're necessarily mentioned. And I just think there is a standard now that is out there that says, just sending me paper is not enough. Sure. Agreed. Uh, Especially when, uh, because there are games that are less expensive than this game that give you more. Yeah. Uh, in terms of that. So I, I just wanted to see more varied items, more, just less, I, I don't have another way to say it, just, just less of the paper. I, okay. I think it makes the game more engaging. Uh, and again, cause otherwise this could just be done digital or it could just be a book. Sure. Like it could be a booklet. And I like, again, I like the story. I like the puzzles in it, but I think it could have been taken to the next level is I think sure. is a fair way of saying it by doing that. But I want to contrast that now as we jump into episode two. The thing that we loved about that is they upgraded the materials for the second game. Yeah. Uh, talk, talk to me about that a little bit. Um, so, I mean, a lot of the material, they, they started using different material, to say the least. They added some tangibility to some of the items used in scattered cards. Yeah, they gave you cards. They literally give you yeah, cards. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are some other elements in the game that are digital, which we should bring this into the game. There are digital elements to this game. Yes. Um, parts being your puzzle solving. But also there is a, which I, I would actually put this as a like, and I think we will talk about a little bit more when we talk about, about the narrative of the game is that they add a a way you can read the narrative by giving you a transcript, but it also has a voice-acted yes. version of the game. And it's not something that's purely unique to this. We see that, but it did it did add to it for sure. Yes, it yes. definitely adds to the experience. Um, yeah, it's definitely not the first time we've ever seen it, but it is, I, like I said, I thought it was well done. In the first game, it was a bit less involved. It is, it's still important, but like because of how the game is, it's just naturally not as needed until the end. But in games two specifically, and even more in three than the narrative given through the digital aspect of the voice recordings is very important, you know, to giving you the immersive experience of in the second one, trying to figure out what's going on with this kidnappings of people. Yes. And the true case that that is unfolding in front of you and submerged Sentinel with your deep dive down into the depths, trying to figure out, you know, 
what's possibly at play of why this uh, submarine is missing. Yes. Right. It's it's just well done, but it's the material was really well done. But also, I thought the narrative integration into the puzzles... 100%. ...was a step up as well. It was great. Yes. Like, it, I, I, we may talk about this a little bit later, but of the three games, the second game was my favorite. Oh, yeah? It just... Everything felt like it was just hitting at the right time. Mm. And uh, I do think game three was a little more difficult. And maybe that was why I like game two, because I think there is some elegance and simplicity. But to your point, the the puzzles, the meta puzzle that you were working on in the second game, everything just fit together so cleanly. Mm. And it was just I, it was just highly enjoyable, in my opinion. Sure. Uh, and, and to that extent, correct me if I'm wrong, but we really didn't have anything critique about the second game. It flowed well. The breaks were there. The puzzles were there. The pacing was there. Everything made sense. I, I just saw such a leap from game one to game two in our terms of enjoyment. Sure. It's so in my opinion, because we talked about this when we played the game, there's one part there's one puzzle specifically that I personally, I wouldn't say didn't enjoy, but I thought was not the greatest, but that's me reaching. Right? Yes. That, that's me saying like, okay, out of one puzzle, out of the the multiple I've done over the entire series, I didn't like. And, it, and it's mainly like a small critique. Um, so that's really a praise at them. But that that was the only thing when we were trying to discuss things that could be improved in the second game, I was reaching to try to get, yeah. That. So I had something. We sat down and I said, do you have anything? Like, and Zach said, just said like, we'd really be pulling. And yeah. uh, so I, I, I thought game two was quite great. And let's transition that now into the third game, the most recent game we've played, which is the Submerged Sentinel. What did you love about that game, Zach? Ooh. So in Submerged Sentinel, I think the thing I enjoyed the most was the puzzle quality, so the material that was used for the puzzles, but also the, the diversity of the, oh, the puzzles. Yes. This game, I think more than any of the other, by far, two and the first game, so in Scattered Cards and in, La- in Lost Knowledge, Submerged Sentinel just blew it out of the water in diversity. Yes. Every puzzle that we did, I felt, was actually very different than the one before. Um, there are moments in this game where you can do multiple at the same time and they're all very different. There's no, like, obviously there's something that is similar in all of them because it has to align to give you the answer that you need for yes. the overarching puzzle or like the meta puzzle. But they're like, you know, one is a, is looking at flags, you know, and doing a, you know, trying to decipher that one is looking at a picture. One is going through floors of a submarine it's so varied. One is looking at things in the dark. One is, you know, <laughs> I, I try not to spoil too, really anything too important, but it's, you know, the amount of different things that we had to do to accomplish our goal in this game was was crazy. And I mean that in terms of like a good way. Like I never felt like, like, I, like we said, I never felt like I was repeating myself, but also yes. it was a thing of like every time we did a new puzzle, I was like, wow. That is a fun way to do that. Yes. You know. Very creative. Very creative. Very creative. The one, the one thing that I also like that I think we should give credence to is one of the sticking points, and this is a platform for me personally, is I don't know if in our industry we do a good job of saying this has puzzle hunt elements in it. Sure. Or this is purely like an escape room where it is self-contained. 
And what I feel like was done really well in this game is they went out of their way to say, hey, here is the breakdown of all of the ciphers that you may need to use. And then they disguise them really well. Yeah. Um, Because that's that's huge. Like, otherwise, they'd be asking you to go research, like you said, nautical flags uh, or, or different things during the game. Learning how and, to do all the ciphers. Yeah, learning how so to do so all far. these different... And, and they did it. They said hey, you may need this. And they put that in a narrative element too. And I just I just thought that made things flow so well that we didn't have to say, okay, pause. Now we know we need to go research this. And it was all right there, ready for us. Yeah, I think it is. I, this was a thing that we praised about Enigma Emporium, but them giving us the tools that we needed any time to solve a puzzle. Yes. And they gave it to us in a nice, fun way. This game did the same thing, but I, I would say the one thing it did potentially better and they're different, they're different styles of it, is that it being a traditional re- or being a narrative reason of why you have all that information and how it's set up is really well done. Yes. So I, I agree with Jared on that point. And then to, to go to the other side again and talk about uh, the critiques of this game, again, it's, it's a puzzle-heavy game, and we really enjoyed that aspect. But the only thing we didn't enjoy was the pacing of those puzzles. It felt like early on you were really dealing with slower puzzles Mm -hmm. and quite a few of them as well. Mm -hmm. Some longer processes and that before the break that they gave you seemed to be what the majority of it was. And then once you got past the break, things really sped up Mm -hmm. and you could divide and conquer a little bit if you had a bigger team. But if you were at the beginning of this game, it was, it felt like we were all in on the same material for the most part. And it just did not move as quickly as we wanted to because it personally, it felt like I was struggling to be excited about the story then. Sure. And I think this is uh, something that we've talked about a lot specifically earlier is that the pacing, because I'm going to cover this in all three games, the pacing and specifically lost knowledge, which is the first game and in submerged Sentinel, the narrative is slow at the beginning to build the understanding of the environment and the characters the break happens, and then that is when it all starts, cli- like the build up to the climax. So it it unfortunately feels like the beginning of the game because it is a narrative build up to understanding what you're doing. It feels slow. You're just like okay, and the puzzles are denser. Yeah, yes, and it's just it's just different. And I think that is it's a choice that you have to make for the narrative in in the case that how the narrative works, because it would be more intense when you get to the the building climax where you would be like, okay, now things are starting to get to the point where you're fully understood. You've understood everything. Now you need to solve it. Yes. So then that's when you get, okay, now I have four puzzles that I can do at any time. It, it means more. There's more like puzzle, like quality to it potentially or whatever. Right. So it makes sense. But like the thing that we praised about the second game, which is scattered cards is it never felt like that pacing was a, was a thing. We weren't aware of it. Like we were just playing the game. Yeah. The difference is in that game though, is that the narrative is that you're trying to figure out this case, this kind of this cold case of, or this case of kidnappings. So it's a little bit more like crime detective esque. So the narrative is different in that you are trying to figure out what's going on or where these people have gone. And then the narrative builds up crazy as well, but it did a good job of pacing yourself where you felt like you were doing enough every time you were doing a potential suspect 
and then getting to the like the big part of the game. Yes. While this game, it's and specifically in Lost Knowledge, I felt this a lot more is that the narrative and the puzzles in the beginning are very simple and just go, okay, do this because we kind of need you to do this so that you narratively get here. Yes. And then in this game, it doesn't feel as much like that, but it still just feels slower. Yes. Until you start realizing like what happened to the Sentinel and what's truly going on, like where it's gone, why is it there, you know, so on and so yes. forth. And I think I think one thing that we've got to talk about and that we've got to realize is I think for the most part, every single creator we talk to understands that the narrative is very important, Mm -hmm. that the puzzles are telling the narrative. But one thing that we don't talk about, and maybe because it's a little subjective, I will admit is part of that is you've got to consider how long that puzzle is going to take to solve as a part of the narrative. Yeah. And it felt like we were hit with a lot of the longer puzzles at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I, I would just, if you're a creator out there listening to that, I would say, think about that. Like, think about you as you're working through a traditional story, like how long is this going to take? And again, subjective, it may take Zach five minutes where it takes me 20, where an advanced group may take this long in a new group, or maybe it just clicks. But I think that's the important of beta testing mm-hmm. is really looking at the sticking points and saying, oh, this is a longer puzzle, but that really fits right here. And that makes a lot more sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that just felt felt like that. But once we got over the hump in that game and we got to the second part, man, it was, I, I loved it. The second part of Submerged Sentinel was dope. Yes, yeah, to say the least. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. And I would say, and I don't know if you'd agree or disagree with me on this, but I really think that the difficulty level, kind of similar to what we've mentioned with Scarlet Envelope, Two was harder than one. Three was harder than two. Like every single game seems to be an increasing level of difficulty. Correct. The scale is going upwards. The scale, and, and I don't know that it always needs to. Right. That's a. It doesn't have to. No. Um. But it, it felt like that as well. And interesting enough, uh, in talking with the creators of Enigma Fellowship, in their testing and the feedback that they've received, it seems like newer players have enjoyed the easier games than the harder games off the bat. Yeah, I think people like simplicity sometimes yes, when it comes to if I do. It's something as, as narrative or a puzzle. Right. I'm. Not, I, I mean, we're so so deep into these games, yeah. and I never mind a well done, simple game or yeah. a well done hard game. It's it's what we always talk about. Whatever you're going to do, do it, but do it amazingly. Do it really well. Yeah. Well, just wrapping up and talking about these games, I'm a fan. I would stay on board. I'm excited to see the next episodes. Um, but one thing that we need to talk about that's really important that uh, we, we wanted to talk about separately from the review of this game is just how intentional the creators were in terms of realizing the environmental impact of their games. We see tensions of that in the, especially like in Submerged Sentinel, has a very high environmental intelligence in terms of its storytelling. Yeah. But they are thinking of ways, and a lot of people are as well, is how do we leave as little of a footprint with games that are not replayable. Mm. So a lot of people in our community, we know they pass their games on to other people, but in conversations with them, they're thinking about how do we send this in a game that is something that could be recyclable, or they're even working on game packaging that is, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Biodegradable Mm -hmm. or or compostable. compostable. And I think that's really cool that a creator is thinking about the impact that something as simple as a piece of mail could make. 
because they're going to be sending out tons of them. Our industry sends out so many things through the mail. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it just gets thrown away, hopefully recycled. Some people pass it on. But how do we really think about the impact as a community, as an industry? They, they're thinking about that. And I, if you are a creator out there or even a player, how can you minimize your footprint as we try to leave a better place for the people and the generation that are coming after us? So I don't really necessarily want to open up a conversation with Zach and I. I just wanted to applaud them and say, I think that's worthwhile. That's honorable. That is something that the Enigma Fellowship if it were a real organization, I think would be taking into account. Mm. And it's cool that a company um, for these two creators are thinking about. So shout outs and kudos to them for all of the really, really cool work that they're doing on mm -hmm. that front. That is going to wrap us up for our first section. Hang around for puzzles to the people. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for puzzles to the people. Jared, 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 Jared. I found this really cool box outside. Can we please... Please, please, can we open it? Are you out of your mind? Look what it says on the box. It literally reads, root of all evil. There's no way we're opening this box. Oh, come on, Jared. What's the worst that can happen? Have you ever seen a horror movie? Listen, you don't split up your team. The basement is not a good hiding place. You don't give cute little creatures water. And above all, you don't open the mysterious and creepy box with the word evil on it. Please, Jared. No. But if you're listening and you have more guts than me, you should actually head over to crackinutmysteries.com and pick up a copy of Root of All Evil. Um, Jared, I, I think I need to tell you something. All right, welcome back, guys, to Puzzles to the People. Uh, in this section, this is actually generally a place or a discussion point where Jared will ask me questions or kind of show me reviews that people have left about a game, and we kind of discuss them, kind of like a back and forth. Uh, generally, I start by answering the question or the looking at the review first, and then Jared gets to kind of respond off me. And it's just kind of a, a point to kind of, you know, just look at things and have a good discussion about it. Yes, uh, we have a lot of fun. We do a lot of different things with this section. And today is one of those days, Zach. Oh, please. What'd you do this time? <laughs> well, I thought a lot about our two guests that we're having on, which are the co-owners and creators of Enigma Fellowship. Mm -hmm. And they are actually what I would call new kids on the block. They are some of the newer creators in our community. And that got me thinking, instead of bringing in a lot of feedback because honestly, there's not a lot of feedback. These games are really new. Mm -hmm. What I thought would be interesting is to have a conversation with you and ask you some questions about being a new creator. Mm -hmm. And in complete transparency, I think we have a unique perspective in this because we originally got in this to make a game. A lot of people don't know that about us. Yes, we we. I think it is something that we might do way down the line. Way, uh, way down the line. But it was something that we discussed very early on, and then as we've kind of moved on from it for now. Yeah, we we originally wanted to start meeting and talking to other creators and not necessarily doing a podcast because we wanted to pick their brain. We wanted to see what it, what it took, what it was like. Mm -hmm. And then we very quickly discovered that our talents and abilities would much better serve the community, not in joining the really cool cast of creators that is out there, but in doing something to maybe help promote the creators that are already out there. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that makes us uniquely qualified to talk about this because 
we've done the research into that. And the questions that I'm going to ask you, um, people may be wondering, well, you're not a creator. Why are you answering this? Well, we almost were. <laughs> we almost were in that position. And we've talked to a lot of creators and we've received a lot of feedback. So these next five questions are to kind of answer the questions of, should you be a new creator? What's it take to be a new creator? What should you be thinking about? And if you haven't listened to our episode where we reviewed box one and had a chance to talk with the Spiras of Room Escape Artist, that's also another really great resource that I think you should listening. If you're out there thinking, what, what does it mean? What does it take to be a new creator? Mm-hmm. So that's what we're going to focus. Those are the five questions that I'm throwing out to you today, Zach. And the first one starts with, is now a good time to start being a creator in the subscription at home space? Wow, that is a tough question. Like right now, if I said, is now the optimal time to do that, what would you say? Um, so you're asking me if I could create my World of Warcraft, <laughs> the escape room board game. Yes, if, you, if Blizzard came on and said, Zach, take this beautiful IP and create us a game, what but would you say to them? Okay, well, I'm going to be honest. You know, I'm going to make it. I know. Everyone can relax. I know I'm going to make the game, but we can all chill a little bit. Um, but to be to be realistic about it, if you asked me to make a game or to be a new creator in the space at this current time, I would say no. Whoa. Uh, the reason we actually talked about this a little bit in our interview with um, the Spiros is that there's just so much curling the space right now. And I mean that in terms of content, but also new creators, obviously with the, you know, with everything going on, you know, in our world um, with COVID and everything like that, um, a lot of people kind of who were in like adjacent spaces started coming into this space, uh, obviously with open arms. Um, but it, it, you get a lot of people who just all start going here. Right. So, you know, let's say we have, you know, let's say 30, as an example, 30 creators that were consistent before COVID, you know, so many people saw an opportunity in the space and came in and started making their own. And then more people were like, well, I want to try it now, you know, or, or started making their own games, which a lot of them have been fantastic. But, you know, it went from being like 30 to like 60, you mm-hmm. know, very quickly, you know, and there's a, a target audience of these people right right now that is pretty limited, to be honest, to, you know, for people who have a lot of knowledge on the subject itself. But you just kind of find out that there's so much going on and so much content that you it's going to be hard to find something new. But then second, if you're new at it, you're just in a really competitive field, if that makes sense. You know, obviously, there have been some amazing new creators and uh, Enigma Fellowship has been one that has kind of jumped into the game and has done well. You know, but if you ask me to go against some of the greater games in our space instantly it's going to be rough. If I have to go against like runes of Odin, or if you had to ask me to go against soup, that that's a rough start for me. You know, I'm not saying, I mean, my game would be better. Not, not trying to brag, but I pure joke. But, right. Yeah. Okay. Relax over there. Um, but I, I just think it's a, it's a bad time right now. Realistically, I think it is something you can look at for the future. So getting more knowledge and understanding what's going on in the space, uh, but learning kind of maybe like practicing, but I, I just don't think it's a good time right now. I'm a, I'm 180 in you here. Okay. Uh, I do agree with the information that we have seen an influx of people come into the space, mm-hmm. but nothing about those new creators to me suggests that if you've got a game in you and it's well-researched 
and you are going to be bringing something different, whether that is a different format, a unique story, a unique form of storytelling. I never think it's wise for the community to uh, hinder, and I don't think the community would, but I, I just think it's wise to bring that in and give it a shot. Sure. Uh, reasons being for this is you're talking about a space that is low overhead. Sure. There's not rent associated with any of this. You may, you, it may take a good little bit of money to start it, but if you're ready to close up shop and it's not your thing, close up shop and it's not your thing and there's no existing thing going on. But in terms of the timing, yeah, everybody's jumping in right now. I don't think that our marketplace is established enough to where there's not enough room for competition, but sure. it is out there. So I'm not saying don't, I'm not saying just jump in and be willy nilly about it, but I think in similar, as we always talk about escape rooms, there was a time when we saw 16, 17, 18, where so many people were jumping onto it and we're seeing that level off now. I think we're seeing so many people level off. And I think just the more, the merrier in terms of this, just because like we always talk about, the content isn't replayable. Mm -hmm. If you play Enigma Fellowship and you love this stuff, well, why wouldn't you jump onto somebody else's stuff if you can't wait for the next installment? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I, I'd say if you're out there and you're listening to this, don't listen to Zach. He has no clue what he's talking about. Wow. That's a, <laughs> that's a really harsh way of saying that. Now, so. that. now that we've moved into a safe space in our new studio, we can really take the gloves off and we can really start. I hate you. No, um, <laughs> no, I mean, I get where you come from. I think the thing that we both agree on is that if you decide to do it, just be well, have knowledge about it. Like yes. go in prepared. Cause I think it is something that you just, you can't come in and to say it this way, you can't half-ass it. You yeah. just have to like, cause there's so many people in it. I think the one thing I can agree with you on specifically about why you should is I think giving it a chance is always worth it. If you, if you believe in it enough and you've have it set up yes. right? and it's something that you can just go, okay, we tried and it didn't work out. Right. But also I could understand as well from a timing standpoint that we are starting to level out that people are going to start going back to other things that kind of jumped in for a shorter time. Well, hopefully they might stay around a bit longer, but you know, like some people will just naturally go back to doing their own things. If it's escape rooms or whatever, they right. might, they might drop their, the at home puzzle mystery part of their. Okay. I want to, I want to, want to say something to that. Okay. Cause this is, this is something I think we, we have to get away from is to say, why can't you still do both? Sure. Like, I think that needs to be some of the messaging from our community is I think I agree there will be a resurgence to in-person versus at-home experience. Like, there's great value in what escape rooms bring. There's also great value in what these at-home puzzle and mystery games that we review. I think what we've had the opportunity of over the past year is to say, this is something complimentary, not supplementary, but complimentary to the escape room experience because the escape room experience I think has helped us so much in saying, Hey, we can offer you that similar experience at home. So I think the messaging is like, yeah, go out and play escape rooms. But when you're ready for that night in, this is here also. Agreed. I I think they can obviously both coexist. I I don't mean that as a way that they can't. And I think that is a good way to put it that we should always see it that way that they can both exist without being like one has to be priority over the other. Right. Um, And I mean, there are businesses that still do it. Like they still support both. Now seeing what they do with it going forward, it is obviously on them, yes. but I mean, like CU Adventures is a perfect event, you know, like an example of that where they have their own at home um, experiences that they, they've created recently and still are 
you know, potentially looking into or new items to do, but they will hope, you know, if they haven't already start reopening their escape rooms fully, yes, you know, to a full degree. And, you know, and I think they're a perfect example of someone who I think can do both flawlessly. Yes. Um, cause both, I think both their contents, I haven't played their escape rooms, which I hope we'll be able to soon. Uh, Jared, please pay for it. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, like I, I would love if people could do that where they could still do both. I'm just saying realistically, some people will probably, go back but I, but that's definitely not a case of they should sure i'm not saying get out of here <laughs> get, get out of here I, I i love the content it's been a blast to meet all the great people we have if they're new to the space or if they've been around for a long time it, it's very cool so then let me ask you this we touched on sure. this briefly uh, but i want to ask it as its own question is is the marketplace for these games oversaturated yes I think currently there are so many games in the space that it is hard to play them all. And I mean that in terms of like, now I could play them all at some point. Now there's a very, this is actually a very relatable thing to a lot of people. I think in general, if the, if the place was oversaturated or not, but um, IFB, we at, at minimum have become hoarders of the games that we still need to play. Now I saw a, a meme on our Facebook group that was a picture of a, of a roof with a bunch of snow on it and it was them trying to clear and it says you know the snow is the games that i want to play and the games i've actually played and it's a small corner you know there's so many games that are out there on just a general basis that i'm like okay i just don't have enough time to play them all but you know with how many people are in the space now and like so we love for them to stay i like said none of this is to mean get out but there's just so much that the more people keep adding more and more i just feel like at some point there's just not enough. You don't have enough time to play them all realistically, but I think that will level out over time. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to disagree with you again. Of course. I don't think our marketplace is oversaturated. I think we just haven't reached or exploded as much as other markets have. So it may feel like we're oversaturated in terms of, you know, people who would label themselves as enthusiasts, there are a lot of options. But in terms of if you had this many creators and this was like, just like as popular as board, like generalized board games were, Mm -hmm. then you would say this is one of the most undersaturated things in the world. Sure. Makes sense. So what I'm saying is, no, we're not oversaturated, but collectively we've got to figure out a way. And this is part of how Zach and I view what our job is, is we've got to do a better job of getting this into the common person's hand. Yep. Um, so disagree with Zach. <laughs> I, <laughs> he's rolling his eyes at me. I love it. But I think it, it, it is a perspective question. It is. And I just, I just want to see us explode the same way that I've seen other markets explode. Agreed. And I think we can. And then at that point it will be, Hey, we don't have enough creators. Like people are chewing through all of this yummy content faster than we can produce it collectively as a community. Mm-hmm. Cause, cause what I will say is Um, One of the cool things that Zach and I, now that we're getting to know people in the industry more and more, we're getting to talk to some of the larger companies and uh, I'll take the subscription services for an example and hear the numbers that they are regularly sending out. I was expecting a lot more and it's not that they're not making a lot of money and touching a lot of people. No, it's not like the largest subscription company right now is saying, oh yeah, we're sending out hundreds of thousands of these a month. Mm-hmm. You know, they're sending tens of thousands, which is pretty good. But when you consider there's what, 400 million people, 450 million people in America, like this isn't talking to a person on the street, like, hey, have you ever played an at home puzzle or mystery game? 
the average person would look at you like, no, what does that mean? Sure. So, th- so that's what I mean. If our market only stays this size, yes, we're going to have a lot of creators with not a lot of people, but in terms of the greater market, which is the, how I think about it, because one of the things that I love about us, Zach, is you're more of a detailed man and I'm more of a big picture man, then you could say yes and no to this question coming from our perspectives. Sure. So let's transition to another question. Mm-hmm. If you're a new creator, should you just jump in and based on your own experiences, start making games or should you play other people's games in the spaces first? Ooh. Okay. So I, in my personal experience and knowledge, I very much think you should play games before you actually create one. It's no, you could probably do it without playing them, but I think you're going to miss out on potential things you can learn in the space from other games and other creators. Cause I think a lot of people before you have, have gone through the experiences themselves. It's like when you have your parents or someone like an older, like someone you look up to is that like, you know, when you're younger, you're like, Oh, this is so important. Your parents are like, God, ah, you know, I've been through it before. It's not that bad, you know? And you know, they're like you, or they make the mistakes for you. And they basically like, yeah, you, you need to learn, yes. they, you know, and hopefully sometimes they yes. help prevent things, but at the same time, sometimes you have to make the mistake. Um, so, but what, like I said, I think that's the thing you can learn from other games is where people have made mistakes before and what they've learned from it. So like, you know, if, like, if you asked me personally to make a game, I would play so many before I decided to build. I mean, that was like kind of our point was that we were trying to learn way more about the space and the games themselves. So that if we wanted to do it, we had a good idea of what's working and what's not. Yes. Yep. Totally agree with you on that. Yeah. I, I'm going to for sure agree with you on this. I think it is wise to get out there and play other games because of exactly what Zach said. There are people have tripped over things that you don't need to trip over. And if you play their games, you can see what they did. Like we talked about today, put a break in your game. If there's a natural breaking point and you have a created a longer game, give your players the option to go use the restroom mm-hmm. or to do it over two days. We did submerge Sentinel over the course of two days, just kind of how to play it out. We did soup over the course of two days. And it was nice that there were natural breaking points and that they t- explicitly told us that. Yeah. Um, so I agree with you. Now, I will say there is an inherent risk sure. in this. Um, I was talking with someone the other day that we're going to have on a future episode. Uh, his name is Mark Hartman, and he's one of the designer over at Immersion Games, which is the one that just came out with The Messenger. Mm-hmm. He's going to come on the show. We're going to be reviewing that, I believe, at the beginning of May. But I asked, we were talking escape rooms and I asked him, I said, so what other escape rooms do you go out and play? And he's like, I really don't get out and play that many escape games. Mm -hmm. And I was shocked. And he said, I don't because I know that inherently I'm going to subconsciously latch on to something of theirs. And I really like the creativity that I develop. And I thought that was a really cool perspective. Like he's almost protecting his own brand of creativity from mm-hmm. being inherently corrupted by other things. Sure. Now, do I think that he may be missing out on some things there? Yes, but at the same time, when you play a immersion game, you know that it's not really influenced yeah. by anything else. So what I'm saying is, creatively, it could be good or bad, but I think from a logistical and things that every game should have in them, if you don't play other games, you're going to miss out on some stuff. Mm-hmm. And for, for us personally, I think you just get inspired. Like when I play other escape games, cause I create escape games, I get inspired. I'm like, what a great idea. Not that we're stealing things, but we're maybe learning 
something mm-hmm. from other creators that maybe have done things a little bit different or a little bit better than us. So let me ask you this, Zach. We got a couple of questions left. If you were creating a game, would you start with puzzles or would you start with narratives? Okay. This is a perspective question, in my opinion, um, mainly because it's the type of experience you're trying to make. If you're doing a puzzle hunt, I think the puzzle is the more important part of this question. If you're asking me in like a, let's say like a soup or like a Enigma Fellowship or any of these types of games that aren't pure puzzle hunts. Yes. I think narrative should be first. I think you can have ideas for a good puzzle and figure out how you fit that narratively into a game. But I think having a good narrative set up and then flowing the puzzles into it is a good way of doing it. Because I think that sets you a, a an idea of flow and pacing based on narrative and then how you can feed clues into it to either spice it up more or to like almost just add spice to it to make it have more flavor. You know, yes. you know what I mean? Kind of like cooking. Um, is How do you mix those two well? Um, but, but it's purely perspective. Cause I think some people could probably have an, like some people have like an idea for a puzzle and they go, okay, I have the perfect puzzle, but now I need to build a game around it. And I think that's going to be harder to achieve than doing narrative, than doing puzzles. Mm. I, I agree with you. I, I would say personally narrative than puzzles. Mm-hmm. And this is from talking with a lot of the other great creators that we've had on the show Because if you listen to a question that we very regularly ask our creators is, hey, tell me how you come up with the puzzles for these games, or or what's your creative process? And I would say that 99% of them so far have said, well, first I start with the story. Mm -hmm. And I I think it gives credence to what you just said, because then it makes sure that your puzzle fits the story. Because the inverse of that is, man, I have this puzzle idea that I love, and I've got to make it fit. And I think 50% of the time it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And it's a really great puzzle that in a different narrative would have just been awesome. But because you forced it, Mm -hmm. it doesn't, it's not jiving at all. I've been guilty of that in in escape rooms. Yes, he has. Where I'm just like, this is an insane puzzle concept. We're going to make it work. Does the puzzle work? Yes. Is it a cool puzzle? Yes. It doesn't fit with the theme or the narrative. But does does it elevate the flow and the theme? It has not. Yeah, And I've learned the hard way that I think starting with narrative is always best. Mm-hmm. And then it is a battle to really mold and hide and disguise and flow your puzzles into a place that really amplify the story that's being told. Agreed. Last question for you. Should you reach out to your competition in the space and ask for help if you're a new creator? Ooh, okay. This is actually a really fun question. I feel like... You could answer this in different ways, but I feel like there's only one true answer to this. I think you do. This is the reason why. And obviously we are very biased. We have talked to a lot of the creators in the space and they've all been very open to discussing things and talking about their experiences or what they've worked on. I think in this space specifically, it is, there are so many people who are willing to help you because I think everyone in the space wants to grow and get more people in it either as a creator standpoint or like as customers. Yes. And I mean, there has not so far, I don't think I can name any people and I'm not saying like we'd call them out. I'm just saying, I don't think I've talked to people where they're like, no, we're not going to talk to you. I think every person has been very open arms about discussing things like that. They thought they did well, what they're struggling with, you know, I, I mean the community, the, you know, if we did the PP, uh, if we did like the puzzle people, you know, group on our Facebook, um, 
everyone in there is so open to just discussing things either as a creator or as a customer and kind of just discussing what we really enjoy about games. What we don't, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I think there is not a person, not many people in this space. If I even could figure it out that wouldn't be willing to help. Yeah. And I just agree with you. I'm always impressed by the level of openness and genuineness, uh, by these creators and I think you should are they going to give you the blueprint to build a game no no but they're going to help guide you through some common pitfalls be a sounding board for maybe you have this great idea and maybe they had that too and they realized some places that it just wasn't going to work get to know the creators don't be afraid of them like are you competing for people potentially but again Maybe you're helping give a customer from one to the other after they've played your material. Mm -hmm. Uh, As far as I know, nobody has a library of two or 300 games where you're like, man, I could keep them in my world for a long time and I don't really need them. So far, you know, we have the ability to really refer customers to other great games and that's encouraging. So absolutely, if you're listening to this and you're like, should I reach out to uh, the creators of this game or that game? I think you should. Now, they are human beings with schedules and lives, and they may not always be able to get back to you in a time frame that's relevant to you. What? <laughs> they have lives? Some people feel like they don't. Some people feel like they're doing this all the time. Uh, and- dude, I feel like I have a, so much more of a schedule than I ever did. And I'm not even, I'm not even creating Yeah, you're not games. even a creator. So give them, give them a little bit of break. But I even think some of the newer creators that in the space have done it because they've been encouraged by it, current creators to say, like, Yes, that sounds amazing. Go for it. Agreed. I think the last thing I'll say is that don't if if you decide to join the space and you do talk to people, do not take advantage of it because it is something that I think so far no one's really taken advantage of because I think everyone here is genuinely wanting to help other people. But the moment you do, uh, my name is Zach Boffman. I will find you. <laughs> And I'll be very upset with you. Um, <laughs> Zach is our community watchdog all of a sudden. That is me, yes. Uh, I patrol <laughs> I, I patrol the streets at night. Lurking in the mystery subscription group and in the PPGM group. That's me. And many other anonymous forums. Zach is watching. It's true. He's, uh, what is it? He's not the uh, the hero we, what's the, what's the Batman? It's the hero we need, but not the hero we deserve. That's, that's you right now. That's me. That's you. <laughs> I love it. All right. That's going to wrap up our second section of Puzzles to the People. Hang around. We got questions for Creator coming next. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Zach, I'm I'm so sorry to hear about the robbery at your house last night. Are you okay? I'm fine. But Jared, literally no one broke into my house last night. But I do feel a little upset because you did stand me up for game night. Okay. Your text literally reads, break in tonight, exclamation point. Jared, that's literally the name of the game. It's a really cool new concept where you're trying to solve puzzles to break into the game instead of out of it. All other games follow really cool narratives about real-life places. We really should have people check it out in our show notes to get details on where they can pick up this game. So it's called break in? Yes, it's breaking in, not breaking out. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. We are now in the final segment, which we call Questions for Creators. And as always, we're getting to know some really cool cats from Germany. Some cool cats. (laughs) 
That's true. They they I are mean, cool. I have already voiced my opinion to both of them that I would readily travel overseas to Germany to hang out with both of them and play what is an unhealthy amount of escape rooms with them. I agree. I would join you. So yes, I'm calling them cool cats, but we'll let them introduce themselves here in a second, but we're super excited to have them. Agreed. Let's hop on in. So can you guys tell us your names and what you were doing before Enigma Fellowship? Hi, my name is Orshi and I am half of the Enigma Fellowship with... I am Anuj and... With Orshi, we are both, yeah, each one half. Of the Enigma Fellowship. (laughs) I uh, am a programmer. Till today, I didn't give up my daytime job uh, before becoming a puzzle maker. And uh, I don't have too much experience, or I didn't have too much experience in game design before we started, except thinking back, I realized that during my master's, I did some little bits here and there. So yeah, it was just out of passion that uh, I started it. Yeah, How about you? it's almost similar. So I am, um, I'm also a software developer, computer scientist, um, actually run two startups at the moment, and that's not counting Enigma Fellowship. Um, and um, yeah, both are still going. So that's actually, those are my day jobs. This is, you know, a, a passion project that we really like doing. And that's kind of how we got into it. I have zero background in game design. I've never done anything like it. And yeah, it's been an interesting, interesting few months since we started to to get the hang of all of this. So how did Enigma Fellowship come into existence? So the thing is, we, we kind of wanted to make escape rooms for many years. We've been escape room, um, you know, fans for many years. We played them wherever we would travel. And, um, yeah, well, real estate is always an issue and, and committing to investment on something like that was basically the big blocker there. So when kind of COVID hit, we were looking for a fix for our escape room issues. And, um, the solution that we found was in home games, we found a few that we didn't enjoy. We found a few that we absolutely loved. We still do. We still keep playing them. Some subscriptions, actually way too many subscriptions that we have already. And uh, um, at a point last year for my birthday, Orshi decided to do something that was out of the ordinary. So she actually converted the upstairs of our house to an escape room for me, which was completely personalized to my personal travels and interests and hobbies and experiences. And it was pretty darn cool. I... You know, I, I did eventually escape. It kind of got me completely in shock in the he, beginning. He started slow, but he picked up after the first two puzzles. Yeah, I, I was quite in shock. I was like, what the... This is like... Okay. I still say it's really hard to make a um, an escape room in your own house because if you go somewhere unknown, then you start by looking at things that you don't know. But in your own house, like, do I check under that table that's dusty and it's been there for, you know... Yeah, and then there were a couple of puzzles in in that game that really stood out to me. I was like, dang, you you did a really good job at these. Did you kind of buy a kit somewhere or did you just come up with them? And she's like, no, I just came up with them. I'm like, hmm, maybe instead of making an escape room, we should think about making at-home games, you know, easier to do a little bit because we don't have to get real estate for it and... Could be interesting. We enjoy playing them ourselves. 
So actually that very day we sat down and yeah. started kind of charting out stories and 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 puzzle ideas. And neither of the cool puzzles made it in either of the games just yet. No, the ones that the ones that I hoped would get in there didn't make it in there yet. So um so we'll see. But um yeah, that's kind of how we got started and the name Enigma Fellowship came around because when we started we really uh, we, we are still this is still a debate whether it was a good idea or a bad idea but at that point we decided we wanted to, uh, it to be a subscription right we wanted it to be not monthly because i have mad respect for those who can do it monthly create games monthly but i'm already at a point where i'm wishing we were only quarterly not bi-monthly <laughs> so maybe for season 2 maybe for season 2 we will change <laughs> we'll see but either way we wanted people to have a feeling like they were part of a community so we wanted it to be a fellowship because yep you are part of this community where you get you know interesting cases that you have to solve or interesting puzzles that you have to solve um and then as this whole thing kept going we honestly had no idea what our themes would be like um how we would pick stories but the first one we we were like okay well it's always going to be an enigma that you have to solve right whether it's a professor that you don't know anything about or it's a serial kidnapper or or something else there is some sort of an enigma that you have to 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 solve and then the fellowship is just to bring people together right it's like a little society that that kind of binds everything together exactly that being said we've got quite a few comments saying that well they first thought that we're a religious sect when they read the name of the company so well okay i have to say it's not quite a few it was one person two we had two who is this well, i have to ask her later who the <laughs> second one was because i can't remember that but um either way so we had two people playing the games who thought that we were some kind of a religious cult but uh for those who who are wondering we are not a religious cult we are not promoting any religion <laughs> we're just promoting fun and solving puzzles and, and you know and stories and stories but yeah um it was interesting because the few things that we decided upon in the very beginning was that we always wanted our games to be family friendly so no no murders no gruesome crimes we don't want to promote you know anything that could lead people down the wrong path and we always want the games to have a light and fun topic leave you with a good feeling in the end because it is a game we don't want to do dark and gritty because probably have other ways yeah. to get that yeah. and if you're playing a game 2 hours 3 hours i don't want you walking away or during the game feeling like man this is just i don't feel good anymore so so that's what drove the very beginning i guess yeah, yeah. what is your greater vision for enigma fellowship Oh. <laughs> Obviously want to become millionaires and retire very 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 fast. <laughs> very soon. Yeah, like tomorrow <laughs> if possible. <laughs> no, but um long-term vision. Now this is really interesting. So I I know we said we have this subscription these subscription games, right? So um when we started we didn't have a clear picture of what this would look like, but then very soon we decided that we are going to do essentially um organize these in seasons so a, a game uh, uh, so every year is one season 
the games are disconnected from each other in the sense that the always are, are there's never going to be an overlap in you don't require to play a game in order to play another one exactly and every keeping it fair if you like one of the subjects and doesn't the you don't the other one then you don't you're not forced to play it exactly so the stories are uh, are completely different we don't want to kind of repeat stories we don't want to directly link them to each other but um as time is going on we are seeing people are saying to us that there have been scenarios and characters and things where they would like to see more of that so we are now starting to work on developing bigger connections in universe um so maybe towards the season finale for example we will do something with that where still a standalone game still a standalone story but it will make more callbacks to other elements of our games events that occurred in I, those i think it's going to connect the universe of exactly. all six games of the season when you play the last one yeah so if you know the previous is better then it's going to give you a better flavor better yeah. feel for the whole story in itself yeah i i i won't claim i won't claim that we would be as cool as what the mcu did with their first avengers <laughs> movie but maybe it will be something like that <laughs> so each movie was independent <laughs> and then the final thing put it all together in a puzzle which is like whoa this is cool hopefully we'll pull something like yeah, that so out so so far we're basically thinking in uh, bi-monthly and um, year long seasons yes there mostly. are other ideas we have other ideas that we would like to do as one time premium experiences which will be more involved will have as you know our games are primarily paper based because of the format that we chose due to many reasons and the subscription will always be like that but um for the premium experiences we have some really really interesting ideas that we want to go into so handcrafted items where um you know we might much more tactile much yeah. more um yeah basically much more tactile yeah and, and... where we want to work with some actual handicraft artists and so on as well um so yeah we have those ideas let's see when time permits us to get into any of those that's the bigger question Talk us through your creation process. Have there been any difficulties along the way? Such an easy question. <laughs> well, actually, right now is the perfect moment because we're just after finishing a game and just at the beginning of planning the next one. Well, I think the right way to answer this question is that there is no no one process. Each of the three games, because we've done three games now, each of the three games has had a very different process, right? So... The first one, uh the lost knowledge started by okay, we haven't traveled this year. Where would we like to go back to if we wanted to go back? Which are some places that we would like to re-explore, right? And and that's how that game kind of started. So we started less with a theme, more with the idea of we want to go somewhere with it. And I think that that's also because that was the first game. Absolutely. So ever since then the the other two and now the 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 fourth game. Well, not not quite because the second game started with a ridiculous idea in my head where I was like I want to put a newspaper in it. Right? And and I don't want a cutting of a newspaper or I don't want one sheet of a newspaper. I want it to feel like a real newspaper with articles that are all in universe kind of and um at, while arshi was still working on aspects of the first game 
I sat down and I started writing this newspaper on the side, on my own. For the second game. <laughs> For the second game. And I just showed her, look, this is what I came up with. And from there, the story kind of fell out that, okay, this is what really happened. And then we decided, you know what? It would be cool if we had a, had a really cool prop that we could reutilize multiple times because when you ship in an envelope and you're restricted by, to a specific weight limit, there's only so many things you can do with it. So we were like, okay, cards would be really cool, but and, and I don't want to give away spoilers, but there's the cards. There's cards that, in it. It's called scattered cards. So yeah. there are cards in it. But the cards that we used are not the standard playing cards. There's and we'll leave it at that. Yeah, exactly. But we <laughs> went with that. That was part of our discovery process. We learned about that ourselves. And then, um, so that was interesting. And the second game is where we realized that for us as creators, what mattered the most was the story, right? In the first game, you'll notice the story has elements of, it hints at elements of danger and elements of, you know, interesting things, but it doesn't do a lot with it. It takes you through a journey of this happens and that's basically it. In the second game, we reveal more of a story to you and we try to tell more of a story. And we realized we as creators enjoy that much more. We, we prefer that format. And that's by when we were starting to, to kind of settle on a format for our games, what we want in the games. It also makes it somewhat easier when you know what the storyline is more or less, then, yeah. then you know which domains you can uh, get help for making your puzzles from. Exactly. So that that's also very, very helpful. So the third game we approached, again, not with a story, but with a scenario. So we approached it with, okay, this is the setting that we want it to be in. And from there, it was kind of a natural fallout of... Uh, How did it get there and what are we going to do with it? Exactly. Um, so, and to quite an extent, we are also approaching each, each time we are choosing... So now we are at a point where we are trying to write at least a scenario for a story. And then we flesh out that story and fit puzzles into it um, as we are building this up. Um, but one part of our creative process has continuously been that each game that we design, we want to highlight a topic that people don't think about directly, right? Something that will leave you even if it's not consciously, subconsciously, something to think about at all, all points. So um, in the first, we want to basically keep it grounded in reality. So we don't want to keep it where, you know, we just jump into absolutely mystical or mythical things and, and don't connect it to reality in some way. So, um, and some kind of an educational little bit left behind if, if, if possible. So that's that's uh, part of the the creative process. What advice would you give to other creators coming into the market? There have been a couple of advice that we've read ourselves that it kind of felt natural to us, but if it needs to be spoken out, then test your games. Yeah, um, test your games, but more than that, even as creators in general, um, we didn't realize how much work it takes to put a game together because we had no experience behind it. So um, be very, very wary of this. It takes a lot of effort to put even one game together, right? So 
before you jump into it, plan a lot as to what your format is going to be, how long you want your games to be, what uh, what stories you're going to tell, if you're going to tell stories. Um, because all of that is going to have a major impact in how long it takes for you to build the game, how your how much it's going to take efforts in terms of your logistics of packing and shipping and and all of those are aspects as as creators of games you don't necessarily think about because your focus is on the story and on the game and on the puzzles and the rest of it just happens but it is a lot of work and if you're considering subscriptions my advice at this point is get your first five or six games done before you start the subscription plan because um we didn't do that um wish we did i wish we did so now we're trying to play catch up with ourselves exactly and that's that's a lot of work so so plan plan before you jump into it and making a game is not just about making the story and the puzzles you have uh, um, if you have physical components then you have to do packing you'll have to follow up with the shipments which one goes to whom and then you have sometimes an, an an a computer component right with hints and whatnot so it 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 goes way beyond the moment when you finished making the game itself that you and your friends could play in your house. Exactly. I mean, just as an example, the last game that we just did, the third game. Yeah. Um, it took us in the it, it took us a good two months to put the whole game together. Yeah. From start to end, um, it actually did, and just putting the digital components of it together in man hours ended up taking me almost 80, 90 hours. So it it feel you sometimes don't realize how much goes into these games and it it can burn you out very quickly if you're not prepared for it. So prepare before you jump in. I'm not trying to discourage anybody. Make the game you want to make because I think people are making some really fun games, so do so but plan for it. This is a fun question. Uh what is the most enjoyable part of being a creator? Wow. Actually, for me, it's a simple answer. All right. Um, I get to spend time doing something with Orshi that otherwise we wouldn't get time doing, right? We would play games, um, but there aren't... We, we Travel was a big thing for us, right? We can't do it during COVID now, but um, we would get to spend a lot of time together. We would really enjoy that. But those were in short bursts. This gives us one more thing to do together that doesn't require us to travel if we can, you know, and, and it's not watching a movie or where it's passive, it's active work together. And I-, and I Active spending time together, you make it sound like it's a work camp. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a work camp, right? Because you are working, but you're actively creating something. And in the end, once you're done, I know that not all our games are always going to be great. And for example, the first one, we don't feel terribly proud about it anymore as as well as we did when we finished it. But at least each time we finish a game, it's like, yeah, we made something cool, right? Um, and that feels really, really nice. Yeah. I wanted to say something else, but now I'll go with your, your no, 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 no. You have to say what your other one was. Actually, the best part of making these games is when... Um, I come up with a puzzle and Anuj has, um, <laughs> so, so he's the kind of person who really is looking for quality in things. So when I make a puzzle and he looks at it and he says, wow, that's cool. That is like the best thing in the world. 
So those those are worth uh, spending time on. Yeah, and and again, I I don't want to spoil this for anybody who's going to play the third <laughs> game. But or she came up, the base puzzle in itself is nothing you know out of the world because oh. it is a type of puzzle every every creator gets to eventually. But the way she executed that puzzle, even today, makes me feel like a child who's enamored and sucked into a world that I don't want to leave each time I, I, I handle that puzzle. It's like, wow. I, it's, I, and then, yeah. It's So, yeah, that, I do enjoy that aspect. Just being surprised by stuff that we do ourselves. So it's nice to sell the games, but as you heard it, we basically make it for each other. (laughs) And you guys know this is coming because we know you listen to the show. God bless you. What games are you currently playing that you think our listeners of the show should also check out? Ooh. What are we playing right now? (laughs) We, We have a shelf of almost 100 games to play. So we can tell you the backlog. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have a lot of Deadbolt, a lot of Escape the Crate. We have Society of Curiosities. They're uh, still coming. We finished the first one. There's Post Curious? Uh, no? No. no. Curious Correspondence Club. We still haven't gotten through that at all, but we really want to. Um, we have Double Major. We have Double Major we from Crackernut. Cart- uh, Rouge from Enigma Emporium. Not just Cart Rouge. We have the second season as well of their postcards. Yeah, but I'm really, really, really burning up to solve that card thing already. I agree. Uh, we have um, we have uh, Hack Forward. We have by Key Enigma. We uh, have from uh, Dark Park. We have um, Witchery Spell by Dark Park. We have the. Sins of Our Father by the Puzzling pa- uh, Package guys. Um, we have the shirts from the yeah. CU Adventures. Yeah. So the list is very, very, very long, basically. Yeah. We actually also have... Um, oh, man, I can't even remember which... We have two more game companies that we, ha- we haven't touched yet, and we want to try those out as well, but now I can't even remember who they are anymore, honestly. Um, but if I had to recommend any games, actually, we also have a bunch by Conundrum Box that we haven't touched. If I had to recommend a game, let, let, um, actually, if there was one game that you would pick that you would oh, recommend. that's not fair. Oh, that's really not fair. Which one would you pick, though, that we've done in the last few months? No, I'll let you choose. I can't choose. I like too many of them. Okay, pick two. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I have to admit that we go for stories a lot more than we go for just puzzle component or just digital component. We don't care how pretty it looks. If it told me an awesome story and had fitting puzzles into it, um, it that overshadows everything else. And sometimes the story itself might end up exceeding everything else too. So one that really stands out to me is Mr. Mind Game by Deadbolt. That is like... Even though I think I feel like that the puzzles were not brilliant in it, it, it was kind of a you know kind of an average game when it came to the game itself. It was a standard deadbolt, deadbolt. Yeah, very standard, very formulaic for deadbolt. But the story was amazing. I want to see a movie made with that. I I want to I want to read a book which fully expands that. I mean, it was just. If I have to choose, then I, you'll know the name. I don't know it anymore. The one that, uh, 
Oh yeah, that I, that was by Conundrum Box. Um, I forget which one it is. It's one of the Great Explorer Societies games. It's named as the Great Explorer Societies. Yeah, that was really cool. And that's actually what I would love to play, play next. Actually, what I want to play next is the Arabian Nights double, um, double edition that they have. That's what I really want to play. We really love your show, guys. Indeed. Thank you for making it. <laughs> I agree. We I, And we really enjoy talking to you guys because, you know, there's there's a the little bit of this interview that you did, but people will never know what all cool stuff we <laughs> talked about around this. And so it's really, really fun hanging out with you guys. That's really cool. All right. Well, we just want to thank them so much. Uh, we're looking forward to having them back on the show in the future. Just some of the kindest and most uh, authentic people that we've run into so far. They, as I've said before, and I'll say it again, they are wicked and they're cool cats. <laughs> cool cats, everyone. Uh, okay. And they're, they're people that, again, they're some of the newer creators. If you're a newer creator, they've got a lot of information that they're ready and willing to share with you. Yeah. But just to talk about them, if, if you want to play their games head over to enigmafellowship.com. You can check out their games. I think they're currently building out their fourth game at the time of this episode. Correct. Yes. So they have three that you can yes. you can purchase. The fourth one, I think, is getting started. Uh, but I'm very excited to hear what that is fully going to be about. Yes, I'm excited too. There's going to be some cool stuff, uh, as you've heard, coming out into that fourth episode. But again, find them on enigmafellowship.com. For us in Puzzling Company, we would love it if you would put our podcast on a subscription or on a regularly downloadable schedule. Go to our Instagram, go to our social media, give us a like, drop us a line. If you're a creator out there that's just made something new, we would love to play it and talk about it on the show. Drop us a line, contact at puzzlingcompany.com or just message us on social media and we'll get back to you as quickly as you can. But that is going to wrap us up for today. Zach, any final thoughts? Um, not much. I mean, uh, it's been honestly a pleasure to talk to him and I think this has been a great episode. Uh, the only other thing I will say is our editor, Ryan is great. Yes. And uh, we very much appreciate all the work that he does. Uh, we've talked about him a few times before, um, but he officially has his own studio. Uh, and what, what is, what is the name of that studio? Chipped cassette studio. Oh, be sure to check that out. If you're out there wanting to do a podcast, need an editor, our guy, Ryan, is, as you can tell, really good. He's wicked, and he's a cool cat. <laughs> I don't remember saying wicked, but apparently... I, I say wicked. Oh, okay, you say wicked. I, I just wanted to invite... You know, I just thought it'd be cool to steal your cool cat and add it to cool my wicked. Cats. I think Enigma Fellowship sick, is a bunch of cool say. cats. Yes. What other unorthodox phraseology for interesting people can we throw out there? Um, You know, I'll, we'll keep that for we'll future episodes. We'll keep that episodes. for future episodes, Yes. But thanks, everybody, for listening. Be sure to check us out next week where we actually start a new month. Do you know who we're talking to next week? I think I might need you to remind me. We have a really cool game that just came off Kickstarter. It's called Full Deck Ooh. from the creators at Escapages. And we're excited about this for a number of reasons. This technically will be our first uh, escape room style book. Mm -hmm. uh, we have not covered uh, a book yet, so we're excited to talk about a new medium. But it has some flares and some surprises in it. And we'll be talking to the creator of this game uh, next week as well as we open up a new month. Ooh. As we get into spring for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere. Ooh, excellent. Yes. Well, thanks again, everybody. 
We're excited to see you next week. For Jared and Zach, this is Puzzling Company. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been a Rogue Media Network Podcast.